You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. I have introduced myself to you before. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my great pleasure to bring God's word to you through the sermon. I wonder if you've heard a familiar joke before. There was a, a pastor sitting in his office. And all of a sudden, the church secretary burst in and said, Pastor, Pastor, it's happening. It's happening. And the pastor said, what's happening? He said, Jesus has returned. He's he's back. What should we do? The pastor was silent for a moment. And he thought, well, I guess we should look busy, shouldn't we? (laughs) Now, you've, you've probably heard a punchline like that before, but underneath the familiar punchline, there lies an uncomfortable truth. Is that the truth is for most of us, we're not expecting Jesus to come back anytime soon. We don't think he'll come back next week or next month or six months from now. And the reality is that if we truly thought that, if that the return of Jesus was imminent, that he's coming back very, very soon, there are probably some things that we might change about our lives. I know I would. I would change some things about my life if I truly believe that next week, next month, Jesus would return. There are people that I would talk to about Jesus. There are friends and family that I might reconcile with. There are things that I might do if I truly believe that Jesus was returning. See, Peter knows this. And this is kind of Peter's whole deal in the book of 1 Peter. He keeps reminding them, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. This is what he says in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Now, we can read that and think some kind of apocalyptic wasteland. I think it's more like the three-quarter time siren has sounded. We're heading into the end game. That's what he's saying. There will come a time soon that Jesus is returning. That time has started now. That time has started now. So how do we be ready? How should we ready ourselves for the return of Jesus? How do we make sure that we're serious and disciplined? I think there are three things that Peter reveals in his letter in this particular chapter that help us ready ourselves for the return of Christ. We adopt the mindset of Jesus, embrace the lifestyle of Jesus, and expect the suffering of Jesus. That's what it looks like to be ready. So let me pray for us and let's unpack this line by line. God, I pray that your spirit will be among us this morning, filling us, shaping us, opening our ears and our minds and hearts to hear your word and apply them to our lives. God, we pray that we would be ready. Help us be ready, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first, adopt the mindset of Jesus. In the, literally the first verse, Peter writes, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same intention. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. What he's saying is, have the same mindset as Jesus. Have the same attitude as Jesus. 
Now, I watch a lot of sport. I probably watch too much sport. But one of my favorite things is when you watch the more skilled, the more, uh, more skilled team get overworked, outdone, beaten by the team that is less skilled but just has more endeavor. And what you see after every match when that happens, someone, a commentator, a player will say, they just wanted it more. They just wanted it more. Their attitude was different than ours. Their mindset was different than ours. They went into the game, the match, with something different going on up here. They didn't have more skill. They didn't have more training. They didn't have a better game plan. They wanted it more. That's kind of what's going on here. Peter is saying, do you have the right attitude, the right mindset in your life? And particularly, he says, have the same attitude as Jesus, which begs the question, what is the attitude of Jesus? What is the mindset or the intention that Jesus has? I think one of the best moments that we can see the mindset of Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night that Jesus is arrested. He's just had a meal with his friends, his apostles, his disciples, the last meal that they'll share together before the crucifixion. And Jesus, after this, says, let's go and pray, friends. I need to pray to my Father. Would you watch over me? And again and again, you see Jesus going away to pray. The apostles and disciples fall asleep, and there's this back and forth. But it eventually leads to this moment where Jesus asks the Father, let the cup pass from my lips. Lord, Father, let the cup pass from my lips. And the cup is the cup of wrath that God will pour out on Jesus for the sins of the world, the sins of those who trust in Jesus. And there's no response audibly that God gives in this story, but after a moment's silence, with the disciples asleep, with blood coming out of Jesus' skin from anxiety, with Judas on the way, and the crucifixion to come, what does Jesus say? Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. That's the mindset of Jesus. And in fact, Peter picks this up in verse 2. He says, So as to live for the rest of your life no longer by human desires, i.e. my will, but by the will of God. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. That's what it means to have the attitude of Jesus, the mindset of Jesus, the intention of Jesus, to do God's will, the Father's will, rather than our own. Not my kingdom, not my dream, not my convictions, not my goals, but yours, Lord. If God didn't let his beloved son err from the path of obedience, err from following his will, why do we think that he would let us? Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Adopt the mindset of Jesus. In your prayer life, ask God, help me want what you want. Reveal what you want in my life. Make it clear in your word. 
so that I too can say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. But not only that, Peter draws out to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus. From verse 7, he says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's a pretty stunning list. It's a pretty stunning calling, but let's be honest, it's not a surprising list of things. Hopefully you're not sitting in the pews this morning going, prayer? No one told me about prayer. No one told me I need to love one another with brotherly affections to cover up our imperfections. No one told me that these are pretty stock standard things that Jesus says again and again and again. Be serious about your prayer life. Love one another well. Invite people into your homes and share what you have. Serve one another with the gifts that God has given you. Serve with the strength that God has given you. Speak as if you are speaking the very words of God so that we might bring him glory. Now my expectation is that this this list is not surprising. This is what Christians have always done or tried to do. The difficulty comes in not not so much in knowing what to do, but in the doing of it. We know what we're meant to do. We know what Jesus calls us to. We know what it looks like to live faithful Christian lives where we're located. But the truth is that we all fall short of this, don't we? There are moments where we don't love, another, love one another well, where we don't pray with seriousness, where we don't serve one another, where we don't speak with the very words of God. And one of the harsh things that I've come to realize in my life is that most of the time we, we end up doing what we want to do. So I wake up at 5am to go for a bike ride because I want to go for a bike ride. And so any of my excuses about not reading the Bible are pretty flimsy. I'm tired, I'm busy, I'm exhausted, I've got two kids, whatever. The reality is, is if I wanted to read my Bible, I'd make time for it. The more important question that I started to ask myself is, why don't I want to? Why don't I want to love that person? Why don't I want to invite that person into my house? Why don't I want to serve with the gifts that God has given me? Why don't I want to speak with the very words of God? That's a difficult question to answer and one worth pondering and sitting over. But I think that's part of what Peter is getting at. When he says in verse 7, the end of all things, therefore be serious and disciplined for the sake of your prayers, essentially what he's saying is, 
Make sure that your priorities line up with what God wants. Make sure that your heart desires what God desires because I know that I end up praying for what I'm passionate about. I pray what I prioritize. I pray what my heart desires. And so if it's not serious and disciplined, my prayer life, it will reveal all the ways that I've become distracted, all the ways that I don't desire what God wants. He's saying, Jesus is coming back. Let's not get distracted. Examine your prayer life. See what you're praying about or not praying about. Be serious and disciplined. Embrace the lifestyle of Jesus. But the truth that Peter knows is that anyone who adopts the mindset of Jesus and then embraces the lifestyle of Jesus should expect on some level to experience the same kinds of suffering that Jesus does. It says this in verses 12 to 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's suffering, so that you may be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Friends, don't be surprised. What were you expecting? We follow Jesus. Jesus is our king. We walk in his footsteps. Jesus suffered. How could we expect not to? There's a pervasive thought that that sort of sits beneath the surface of many churches that you follow Jesus and, and God will bless you. And the unspoken thing is that God will often bless you through health and wealth. And that the difficult thing about that is if you look at so many of the New Testament authors or the disciples. That's just not their experience. That's not their experience at all. No, they followed in the footsteps of Jesus and they received the same kinds of suffering that he did. Now, we might not be at risk of crucifixion, but I guarantee you that if you embrace the mindset of Jesus or adopt the mindset and embrace the lifestyle, you'll experience pushback. And it's probably something like the same kind of pushback that Peter talks about in verses 3 to 5. He says, you've already spent enough time doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness and passions, drunkenness, reveling, carousing, lawless idolatry. They're surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation, and so they blaspheme. But they'll have to give an account to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. What he's saying is, You know where you came from. You did all that stuff, right? But you used to do it, and then suddenly something happened in your heart, and you changed, and your heart wants different things now, and you want to do the desires of, you want to do the will of the Lord. And so you say, I want to have the same mindset of Jesus, and I started to do the same kinds of things that Jesus does. And suddenly all your friends say, You've changed. What are you doing? They're surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses, and so they blaspheme. There's pushback because people have started to live like Christians. I think that's the kind of pushback that most of us will experience. In our workplaces, do we tell others, yeah, I I follow that Jesus guy. I'm a Christian. I go to church. Are there friends who no longer hang out with us? 
because of who we follow and the way that we live our lives. A couple of years ago, I started going to the gym uh, with a friend of mine, as is obviously very obvious to all of you uh, right now. (laughs) We'll have words afterwards, Mitch. And it wasn't one of those nice gyms. It was one of those factory gyms where the only decor they've ever seen is concrete. It was cold and miserable, uh, and I didn't really know what I was doing, so my friend invited me and said, hey, come and, come and we'll go work out a couple of times a week, and I said, sure. And I just sort of let him do all the, uh, he set up all the exercises, and a couple of weeks in, he said to me, hey, you, how are you feeling with it? Like, how do you, you feel it's going? And I said, well, it's, it's good. I, I think I'm becoming a bit more comfortable with the exercises now. And that was the wrong thing to say because he ripped the dumbbells out of my hand, went over to the weight rack and got a much bigger set of dumbbells, brought them back and gave them to me and he looked me in the eye and said, the moment that you're comfortable is the moment that you stop growing. The moment you are comfortable is the moment you stop growing. And I wonder if the reason that so much of 1 Peter grates with us and our experiences is that we don't really expect to suffer, we rather expect to be comfortable. For the most part, not saying everyone, we live comfortable lives and we live in comfortable homes and we drive comfortable cars to our comfortable jobs where we talk with our comfortable friends. We don't expect to suffer. Now, note, I'm saying comfortable, not comforted. There are some of us who are comforted by God, that's a good thing, but comfortable means putting up your feet, that's the moment where we stop growing. And the danger is in our Christian lives when we we become comfortable that we stop growing too. And in fact, rather than just stop growing, we largely stop being obedient because so much of what God calls us to in Christ Jesus is profoundly uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable to love your enemies. It is uncomfortable to bear the burdens of others. It is uncomfortable to be the only person in your school who follows Jesus. It is uncomfortable to be the person at the workplace who says, yes, I follow Jesus. It is uncomfortable to share the gospel with somebody else. It is uncomfortable to follow Jesus. We should expect to be uncomfortable as Christians. In fact, if we are saying, Lord, not my will be done but yours, that should lead us into discomfort because we're not doing what we want to do. We're saying, God, I want to do what you want to do. We should expect to be uncomfortable. So easy. Good takeaway. Adopt the mindset of Jesus, embrace the lifestyle of Jesus, expect the suffering of Jesus. Easy. I can do that tomorrow, right? Fixed. I think sometimes when we preach sermons like this or hear things like this, the takeaway for most of us is that we get a bit of a kick up the backside and we go away, I think I just have to try harder. I just have to work a little bit harder at this following Jesus stuff. And that's not the takeaway. It's not about trying harder. It's about training. Now, I was talking uh, with some of our youth 
uh, who have become very interested in running. There's a couple of them who even when we were talking about what should we do uh, during the term, one of them, a couple of them wanted to do a beep test. Do you guys know what a beep test is? You run uh, from one point to another and there's a beep. And if you, don't, if you hear the beep before you get there, uh, you're eliminated, essentially. So you have to keep running faster and faster and faster. They thought that would be a great idea. <laughs> Sounds terrible. I don't know, a number of them are running 5Ks, just waking up in the morning, going for a run, 3Ks, 5Ks. I know that if I went for a 3K run or a 5K run, I would likely get about 600 metres in and keel over and just be like, this is not for me. I'm not a runner. You know what? Even if I tried really, 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 really hard, I'm not a runner. It doesn't matter how much I want to run, I can't, just from the base that I've got. You know, even if, if Blessing or Sophia came with me, some of the runners, you know, they're incredibly encouraging. They love Jesus. They've got the Holy Spirit. They could run beside me, encourage me the whole way. They could pour holy oil over me. They could cast out demons as we run. Well, maybe I'd make, maybe I'd make two Ks. It's not just about trying harder. It's about training the way... You get better at anything is by doing small, like doing things in small doses. If you want to get to 5Ks, you run 100 metres or 500 metres and then you do the same thing the next day and then you have a rest day and then the next day you do a kilometre and then the next day you have a rest day. It's not just about trying harder, it's about training. I think that's what Peter is calling us to, is to train ourselves. I want to be more like you, Jesus. Help me be more like you. A friend of mine, Sam Oldland, he used to say this. He said, train now so that you're ready later. Train now to say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord, so that you can say it later when it's harder. Train now to risk embarrassment for sharing the gospel of Jesus so that you can share the gospel even if it brings abuse. Train now to say, yes, I follow Jesus at your workplace or your school so that you can do it later. Train now to talk with kindness and grace even in the face of opposition so that you'll be ready later. Here's the thing about training. Training is never perfect. Training is imperfect. And that's the point. It's about the destination. I know where I want to go. I want to be ready when the Lord returns. And if you're feeling overwhelmed even with that, here's the great truth on Pentecost Sunday. God gives us a helper. He fills us, equips us, shapes us, encourages us. So friends, let's be ready. Let's be training. Let's be training to say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Let's be training to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus offers and let us expect suffering. Let me pray for us right now. Lord, we thank you Thank you for this word. 
this reminder that for many of us, myself included, we are not expecting the Lord to return anytime soon. But Lord, let us not be distracted. Let us be ready. Let us be ready for your return. Let us be on our eager tippy toes in anticipation. The Lord help us, we pray. Help us train so that we might adopt the mindset of Jesus, that we might say, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. Let us embrace the lifestyle of Jesus, not just the things we find easy or the things we know, but the things we don't want to do. Change our hearts, Lord. Align them with you. Wake us up. Make us sober-minded and disciplined. Remind us that the end of all things is at hand. We are in the end game. And Lord, when we do, let us not be surprised that we will experience pushback, that we will experience suffering for following Jesus. But remind us in those moments that we walk in the footsteps of your Son, that we are equipped with the Holy Spirit, and that we are being faithful and obedient to you. Lord, change us and shape us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.